0: Welcome back to Tay Learning, a Taylor Swift Podcast. I'm Danny, And I'm Olivia. And we are your co-hosts. And welcome back to The Master's Controversy Part 2.
1: Now we are
0: going to jump into the re-recording. So yeah, right where we left off. Um, Fearless, Taylor's version, comes out on April 9th, 2021. We hung out that weekend. Yes, we did. (laughs) And we drank
1: wine. Uh, Fearless is one of my like um, sentimental albums because it was my first experience with Taylor. So I was super excited for the re-recording to start with Fearless.
0: Yeah, um, when it dropped, it effectively buried the original Fearless um, despite all of the nostalgia that we had for the OG Fearless. Mm Original Fearless drops 19% in sales within that first week and went from being 157 on the billboard charts to just falling off of it completely. And Fearless yeah. takes over. Now, Love Story came out a couple of months before yes. that, mm-hmm. back in what, February, Love Story. I think so, yes. I think it was around Valentine's Day. Yeah. Um, and that's a immediate acclaim because you can hear how much more mature her voice is. Mm-hmm. And then all of Fearless, you can just hear it, the growth in her yes. voice.
1: And something that's pretty cool about the way that she's done her re-recordings is her vault tracks. So the from the vault tracks, for those that don't know, are songs that she wrote during that time in her life when she was creating the album. So in this case, Fearless, that just didn't make the cut for the original album. So they, she described it as songs that she left behind and had forgotten about in the quote unquote vault of like her discography that has been unreleased. And I remember when she released her first from the vault track, it was you all over me. Mm -hmm. And she released that before the album dropped. And I remember listening to it and it, it made me really emotional because it sounded like a song that I've known for the past, what, 13 years at this point, but it was all new at the same time. So I think that's something that's really special. That is an amazing marketing strategy to, you know, get her, re-recordings out there. She still has new music on these re-recordings as well.
0: Yeah, she really captured that same essence. And I mean, obviously, right? These were brain children from years and years ago Mm -hmm. that she just finally put into music. I think it's insane that she's able to capture that exact feeling. Like there's nostalgia when I listen to Mm -hmm. Mr. Perfectly Fine, um, which is notoriously about Joe Jonas. And Olivia, you were a really big Jonas Brothers fan. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Yeah,
1: I'm the um, resident expert on all things Joe Jonas, Taylor Swift, like songs about each other. So. I mean, we'll have a whole episode dedicated to that, I'm sure. But I love the petty teenage nature of that situation.
0: (laughs) Honestly, I wish I didn't, but I just love petty teenage nature. I feel like some of the best art comes from a broken heart of a 17, 18-year-old. Because it feels like the end of the world, so things feel
1: like they have so much more gravity than they actually do. (laughs) Absolutely. And Sometimes I look back at journal
0: entries that I wrote when I was like 18, and I was so much smarter then. I was so much smarter. If I'd wanted to write music, I couldn't have been Taylor Swift, but I could have written some... Bangers and right. <laughs> I did not do it. And I regret that because now I do not feel as deeply as I did back then. So good right. for Taylor Swift for holding on to that stuff in her vault. So that we could experience it now oh, and be in that mindset so again.
1: Good. Um but I know that when she first started talking about doing her re-recordings and talked about Fearless coming out, a lot of critics were like, you know, people have done this in the past and have been unsuccessful.
0: God, it's which insane. I
1: understand. However, this is Taylor Swift.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's Taylor Swift and it's one of those things where obviously she's going to garner a lot of criticism, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, first of all, the basics of the fact that she's a woman who has always garnered a ton of criticism for every decision that she's made. Um, But this is one of those things where critics overall, like, the overwhelming opinion was, what makes you so special? Yeah. And I don't like that because I I feel like if it were a man or if Taylor Swift hadn't started off as a teenager, then there might not be that opinion. Yeah. I also kind of feel like what makes the situation so
1: special is her fan base is extremely loyal and huge. And on top of that, you know, I've listened to some other artists like re-recording of their old stuff before, and it didn't have the same feeling. They didn't capture that same feeling the way that Taylor was able to. Well, she did. She does have like some minor, minor differences in her re-recordings, but I can listen to it and get the same feeling that I did when I listened to the OG love story as I do love story TV. I
0: think a lot of that has to do with the fact that the mistake that I feel like a lot of artists make when they re-record is that they want to change it to keep it with the times. That is the wrong move. If you are going to replace your discography, you have to keep it as true to the original Mm -hmm. as possible or people, what are you, what are you going to do? You're going to tell people they have to stop jamming out to the 22 that they know that they listened to when they turned 22. Mm -hmm. You can't do that. You may want to do it. She successfully did a version, an updated version, when she released All Too Well 10-minute version with Brad. Right. But she had her original five-minute version that stayed true to the original production. Mm -hmm. And um, she said, too, when she
1: was re-recording Fearless, that she took things line by line and did her best to, like, match the inflection, match the tone, match the emotion. So she, like, really took it, like, one step at a time with her re-recordings just to make it as close to the original as possible to in fact, replace the original.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's was the entire point mm-hmm. was to effectively replace what she had already done. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the comments that I found to be the most alarming. Now, in <laughs> retrospect, hindsight's <laughs> 2020. Um, there was a Rolling Stone article that was released in December of 2019, and I. Captured some critic commentary on Taylor Swift re-recording, and one of them is quote: My advice to Taylor Swift is that it takes an awful lot of time, trouble, and money to re-record hits faithfully, and I would question what the intended outcome would be. If she does it and gets away with it, of course, I support her efforts a hundred percent. And that was from Glenn Tilbrook, which is the lead singer and co-songwriter of Squeeze. Squeeze had a couple of hits in 1979 and 87, and they've also re-recorded songs. Um, but again, that was one of those things that started off like, I don't think this is going to work, but if it works, good for her. Right. Um, and then there was this other comment from when you re-record. quote, sorry, when you re-record, do you ever capture that same atmosphere? Do you have the same band, the same studio? What is it you're trying to say to your fans? Don't listen to music you already love. I don't know fans like that. If you could show me one artist for whom it's worked out well, I'd say <laughs> it's a great idea and everyone should do it. But I haven't seen any evidence of that.
1: Alan Kovac,
0: the founder of Better Noise Music and manager of Motley Crue and Blondie.
1: I mean, literally, I think she achieved all of that. <laughs> and Literally. And I feel like people vastly underestimated the love for Taylor herself that Swifties have. Like, it's not just the music for the fan base. It's they're here to support Taylor in whatever endeavor that she does. And, you know, maybe I'm misspeaking, so correct me if you think I'm wrong, but I feel like Taylor is still such a relevant pop star that when she does her re-recording, she still has a massive platform. Whereas others like, I love Jojo, but when Jojo re-recorded, she wasn't as big on the hits, like the the radio hits or anything at that time when she did re-record.
0: I would agree. I feel like Taylor Swift's relevancy has never really wavered. Mm -hmm. And even in 2016, when her career was ending, I'm doing air quotes, um, her relevancy was peaking at the time because all press is good press if you look at it from that perspective um but yeah she didn't start re-recording when she was much older she was retired and decided to do it yeah Mm -hmm. she did it while she was still relevant it's like she
1: keeps peaking over herself like she just won album of the year for the third time and was like hey, I'm re-recording my old works. <laughs> Listen to
0: those. <laughs> I don't know how she doesn't seem to fall out of relevancy, but she Man. maintains it and has done it flawlessly for- That's an entire conversation in <sighs> itself, I feel like. It is, and uh, that's going to be. Oh my god! But like 16 years of just yes. staying consistently relevant. Yeah. That's and insane.
1: And I feel like she just like gets bigger and bigger, even with her re-recordings. So if we move on to Red, I feel like she's gained even more fans, even more followers, and-
0: completely topped what she did with the original red metacritic said that red taylor's version is the best album she has ever released that's a re-recording that's a (laughs) re-recording people were talking about how their favorite album of 2021 was red a song that came out nine years prior yeah what yeah What wild (laughs) it makes sense it makes sense and for me um speaking candidly in 2012 i was a big one direction harry styles person and of course that time you know you kind of had to pick one Taylor swift or harry styles and i was 16 and just foaming at the mouth for anything (laughs) harry styles released low-key still am um but i was falling out of it so i didn't listen to red really back then like i heard it i listened through it i didn't resonate with it and now um as a 25 year old like i'm listening to state of grace and i'm looking Mm. at my boyfriend and i'm like oh i feel (laughs) this without the crippling breakup but um yeah yeah i kind of relate to that
1: too i mean we'll get into more detail for this later i'm sure but red was the album that i started to like disconnect from taylor in my early like fandom days because it kind of felt more pop to me and i wasn't quite ready for that pop switch in her music but her taylor's version is just
0: astounding it is unreal it is unreal that a 10 minute song that caps off the album um all too well 10 minute version of course um taylor's version becomes the longest running per second Mm -hmm. number one ever It overtakes American Pie. Mm -hmm. um, And it's the first number one to be that long in 50 years. And Don McLean, Uh, who recorded American Pie, was like, good for her. It's about time somebody took this (laughs) over. I'm tired of holding the mantle of having a song with like Uh, seven verses. One of my favorite
1: interviews from Taylor, um, just in retrospect, comparing like then versus now, um, she was being interviewed about Red, OG Red. And she was talking about, oh, I have this special song, All Too Well, because we know that's Taylor's favorite on the album. And she was saying that the original was like 10 minutes or so long, but you can't put that on an album. Fast forward to today. Yes, she can. And yes, it will dominate. And it's known as one of her best well-written songs of all time.
0: It really is. Even the five-minute version, like critics consistently have said, all too well is her best work. It's her best work. The only song that I've seen rival it critically is Clean, Mm -hmm. um, which we'll talk about when we do a 1989 episode, but Mm -hmm. um, it is astounding. And Jack Antonoff, who produced that song, did say that Taylor Swift is showing that what the critics say, what media says, none of it matters. Taylor Swift writes the rules. She <laughs> writes the rules. That song has so many different styles throughout it. Yeah. It's four different songs in one. The time signature changes, the beats change, everything changes, except for I think the key. I think the key stays the same mm. the whole time. But it's like four songs wrapped into one. Yeah. And it doesn't feel It doesn't feel 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, it the 10 minutes
1: happen. end and you're like, wait, what?
0: <laughs> Where did that go?
1: Because oh.
0: it, it's, it's really a testament to her storytelling. Yes. The fact that you can listen yes. to all too well, 10 minute version, and you feel like you've sat there for maybe three minutes and you've sat there for 10 plus minutes, yeah. that is something that Taylor Swift can achieve that I don't think most people can. Right.
1: And it's wild the way that she rewrites the rules of what you can and can't do in the music industry too, like, let alone just, just her re-recordings alone, you know? kind of broke standards like everyone was saying she shouldn't do that that's a mistake um but just like dropping an album in the middle of covid 2020 mistake but was that a mistake not for taylor swift they won album of the year (laughs) and then she dropped another album six months later dropped a re-recording four months later dropped another re-recording like months after that and so
0: she's just proving that she can do whatever she wants basically she can she absolutely can and Taylor Swift has, again, as we said, garnered a lot of criticism and amassed a lot of valid criticisms, and we'll talk about those. I feel like when it comes to actually releasing music and releasing the stuff that she has written, she has not made any missteps. Um, she has released songs that have not aged great, like mm-hmm. Better Than Revenge or yeah. Speak Now. Yeah. Um, but I mean, those were written from the mind of, you know, a 19-year-old, a, a <laughs> 20 year old. I was and, also bitter. And she also like looks back on that and is like, ooh. <laughs> that was
1: cringy. She's like that. She's lucky enough that, you know, or she's not as lucky as us, I guess is what I was trying to say. That my cringe is just on Facebook statuses that I can make private, whereas her cringe is literal songs out there in the world that she can never take back no matter what she does. Yeah, no, but
0: <laughs> she can't walk that one back, which nope. is why I think when she was giving that speech at NYU, um, she said cringe is inevitable.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Lean into the cringe. <laughs> but, you know, today's day and age, we have to do something that generations before didn't have to do, which is witness our cringe years later. Yes. Because social media exists yes. and recordings exist. <laughs> Speaking of recordings and stuff that's around forever, uh, TikTok, there was a TikTok trend in the fall of 2021 Mm -hmm. um, to wildest dreams. Taylor Swift saw that because she's (laughs) always lurking. She's Taylor King. And (laughs) um, she definitely saw this TikTok trend with wildest dreams. And she said, absolutely not. Absolutely not. If you are going to do this, it's going to be to Taylor's version. Got it. So she (laughs) drops, the trend like really kicks in on like September 15th of 21. By September 17th, she has released Wildest Dreams, Taylor's version, just an out of the blue 1989, the first 1989 song that was Taylor's version, drops it, releases it via a TikTok and it gets over 2 million streams in
1: a day. Yeah, I don't think she was prepared for how crazy like... The Swifties are out on Swift Talk. But as soon as she dropped Wildest Dreams, Taylor's version, because it was a trend, we made Enchanted Trend. We made literally almost every one of her songs trend. And she's like, you guys are being too much. Yeah, she, I <laughs> genuinely show. think she thinks that
0: we're dramatic, which to, that's fair. It is fair. But how Wildest Dreams on its peak could be 750,000 streams in a day. And mm-hmm. that was when it was trending. And that was on like September 16th. Yeah. September 17th, she drops her own the original tanks, the new one gets over 2 million streams. That's absurd.
1: Yeah, there are some fans, and by some I mean a lot of fans, that as soon as she announced that she was going to do her re-recordings, they swore off to streaming anything that she was going to re-record. So I I don't personally do that. I only listen to Taylor's version for things where – or I don't listen to, you know, Fearless or OG Red, OG Wildest Dreams, OG This Love, but I will – indulge in her older stuff that she hasn't re-recorded yet. Mm -hmm. Um, But I know there are for sure a ton of fans that don't do it like that, Mm -hmm. that swear off albums one through six and are just desperately awaiting those re-recordings because they can't listen to it.
0: And there are a lot of celebrities that feel the same way. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know what they're listening to in private, but um, there are a lot of musicians who came out like Cher, Selena Gomez, Halsey, Camila Cabello, Haley Kiyoko, Kelsey Ballerini katy perry even yeah. ironically enough who came out and were like absolutely she should own her own music let's mm-hmm. support her owning her own music and someone like sky Ferreira, who supported swift and said that she signed contracts when she was 15 that she's still fighting her own battles about yes. but she's not taylor swift so you know she's got a lot of support coming mm-hmm. from not just the millions and millions of fans from big, big names, names. Yeah. in the music industry. And I think that's really powerful. Yes, definitely. But on the other side of the coin, there are people who are big names who don't support her. And a right. lot of them are ones with ties to Scooter Braun.
1: Exactly. A lot of people that have, I feel like, personal relationships with Scooter Braun. Um, as a Swifty, you know, I'm like, yeah, we're, we're anti-Scooter Braun here. However, you can't deny that like a villain in someone's story is a good guy in someone else's story too yeah.
0: um
1: i know i i like demi lovato a lot i watched their documentary on their struggles and they credit scooter braun for saving their life so like you can't really discredit that um wow. however it would be nice if everyone was just nice to everybody and was fair and kind to everybody which Objectively speaking, Scooter has not been to but
0: Taylor. And Scooter Braun um, used to manage Todrick Hall, uh, who did come out supporting Swift, saying that um, Scooter Braun is homophobic and engaged yeah. in a back and forth argument right. with Demi on Twitter about this. So yes, this wasn't just combined to Taylor. This was everywhere. Justin Messy. Bieber steps in, Haley Bieber steps in, Ariana Grande steps in and congratulates Scooter on the purchase. And then deletes her post deletes after Taylor it. gives her point of view. yeah, um, Messy, messy. But for the most part, the world stood by Taylor. Yes. You had non-musicians like Cara Delevingne, um, Gigi Hadid, Anthony Porowski, Ruby Rose, Jamila Jamil, mm-hmm. all coming out saying Taylor Swift is right. right. She should own her own music and we should support her doing this. Right. Really the only celebrities that publicly supported Scooter were those that had personal, personal or professional ties to him. Yes.
1: And the more aggressive ones on Scooter's side, I feel like just on outside looking in seemed like to, to be the people that had more personal attachments, which I understand to a degree, you know?
0: Absolutely. I'm I'm not going to come out here and say that Scooter Braun is a bad person. I do not know him. Yes. I've never met Scooter Braun, um, <laughs> but it doesn't look, great for him it does not look great and when you have other artists historically that have gone through these battles but a lot more privately prince the beatles oh, sure. janet jackson Def Leppard, they went through that stuff privately and i imagine that if they had the fan base that taylor swift had it'd be very easy to tap into that and yes. be like support me because maybe they would have had an easier time getting their masters back and those aren't small names no prince very famously said in 1996 either you own your masters or your masters own you yeah if he had been around today to have that kind of fan base to back him up the way Taylor Swift would, I absolutely believe Prince would have done it. Right. Without question. Who wouldn't, you know? <laughs> Without question. Um, But this has, you know, spurred inspiration for other artists. You mentioned mm-hmm. Olivia Rodrigo. Yes, because she grew up really looking up to Taylor Swift.
1: So she has grown up seeing Taylor struggle with ownership of her masters and it made her aware as a young teenage artist signing her first record deal to make sure to read the fine print and understand what she was signing and also demand ownership of her masters
0: yeah and not just that there are other artists um joe jonas said that he wants he to re-record did. jonah that would be so fun. the jonas Brothers' that back catalog <laughs> Um, Brian Adams, Snoop Dogg, wants to re-record Doggy Style from 1993, (laughs) but then said that he could not capture the same feeling, which absolutely makes sense, knowing (laughs) anything about Snoop Dogg. Um, Ashanti came out being really supportive of Taylor Swift, saying, I would love to do that. She's changed the music industry and artist rights. I feel like it's
1: going to be a wave of people, artists, I mean, um, kind of doing this for themselves yeah she's really like set a precedent and a standard by making it so public because artists don't have to continue to be taken advantage of in private
0: completely shifting the power dynamics of the music industry Mm -hmm. which is long overdue it has always been about exploiting the artist the performer the creator in the name of money yeah and the fact that even if there's not legal grounds for a lawsuit um i don't know enough about law to know but it doesn't seem like that's likely swift's moves taylor's moves here are going to bring about systemic changes in the music industry and artist label sure. relationships they have she's to
1: gonna leave such a lasting impact on you know not just the music industry but our culture in general like she's just such a huge influence And yeah. whether or not you like her I don't think that's something you can
0: deny yeah no you can say opinions of I'm not a big fan of her music mm-hmm. or a fan at all you can say I don't like her music it is fact at this point that she has completely disrupted the music industry. Yeah, she's a literal musical phenomenon at this point. And there are classes being taught at colleges. like um. I'm to take those classes so fast. Yeah, right. Uh, Queens University of Kingston offers a fall course titled Taylor Swift's Literary Legacy, Legacy Taylor's Version, which I think is so, so funny. So cute. <laughs> um, like there are Classes on this because it is a law phenomenon. It's a music yeah. phenomenon. It's a huge thing. Like, what is Taylor Swift? What happened here? <laughs> well, I mean, she kind of told her story a little bit mm-hmm. through some of her songs. Um, most notably, would be "My Tears Ricochet," "Mad Woman," and "It's Time to Go." Yeah, those are the ones that I I can think of that are about her master
1: situation or like kind of make references to that, um, and. Gosh, I love her songwriting. She's kind of super sneaky about things. Like, if you don't know, you don't know. But if you do know and you pick it up, you're like, wow, she's just a lyrical genius.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. And My Tears Ricochet is often regarded as one of the best songs on folklore. It's so good. And then if you're just, like, listening to it, you might not tie it directly to this controversy. But but I feel
1: like it could also um kind of take the form of you know a relationship ending romantic platonic or anything like that but reading through the lyrics with the lenses of um her stolen music SSA and one of the lines is and I still talk to you when I'm screaming at the sky and when you can't sleep at night you hear my
0: stolen lullabies did, who writes that uh. <laughs> um, mad woman which is kind of a callback to blank space and look what you made me do in the name of a delusional woman quote unquote um she's got um what did you think i'd say to that does a scorpion sting when fighting back they strike to kill you know i will this is all like directly yeah. shooting at uh, scooter and scott yeah and that kind of mirrors
1: a line in my tears ricochet too if i'm on fire you'll be made of ashes too mm-hmm. like You know if i'm going down you're going down with me
0: (laughs) also in Map woman where she says what do you sing on your drive home do you see my face in the neighbor's lawn or does she smile or does she mouth you forever and scooter literally had to drive past i can't remember if it's her old studio or where she used to live yeah something that referenced her this is not vague no. <laughs> no what a shame she went mad no one likes a mad woman because people are calling her crazy and delusional and overstepping absolutely not she was not gonna stand for this mad woman in a lot of ways to me is the song that I wish the man had been right right I
1: feel that definitely
0: Um, which we'll talk about The Man later. But if you haven't heard The Man, it's, you know, kind of a a feminist anthem from the Lover album. Mm -hmm. I personally love The Man. I know it's kind of divisive, but I feel like Mad Woman really drives the point home. Right. It takes it all the way. (laughs) It really does. It really does. No one likes a Mad Woman. What a shame she went mad. In fact, she even digs at um, Scooter Braun's wife in one of the lyrics because she, you know, obviously publicly supported Scooter even though it feels very, you know, anti-feminist and anti-woman in a lot of ways, what he did. Yes. And it's time to go was literally outright but This saying. one, this one is for sure. Like, even if you
1: don't know, you know. Like you She put
0: that there. She put it on blast. Oh 15 years, gosh. 15 million tears. Um, one of her lines, begging till my knees bled. He's got my past frozen behind glass, but I've got me, which is quite literally saying he might have... My master. My master is, but he doesn't have the thing that made them. Yeah. Which is me. Uh, it's beautiful.
1: I gave it my all. He gave me nothing at all and wondered why I left. Yeah. Like that's straight up her leaving Big Machine for sure.
0: Um yeah. When you know it's time to go, so then you go, you go, you just go. Mm-hmm. That you will find the right thing. You know in your soul it's time to go. It's these songs are beautiful. They're on folklore and evermore which you know are two of her three releases that she did after leaving um big machine and they're hard to listen to because it feels like a diary entry
1: literally and she does it in such a way it's just so poetic like i mean i feel like her lyricism has always been poetic but folklore nevermore especially yeah like we could go on and
0: on we really could and we probably will
1: And I could go on and on. And Um,
0: I will. will. (laughs) Um, That pretty much covers the timeline and the story of the Masters controversy and how we got all the way from debut in 2006 to now. Gosh.
1: And we have so much more to go to. Yeah. I cannot wait.
0: We really do. Um,
1: Mm -hmm. Olivia. So I have a question for you, actually, before we wrap up. Yeah. Do you think 1989 or Speak Now is next?
0: I love this question because I have no <laughs> effing idea.
1: Um, Every time I swear it's 1989, I'm proven wrong. So I feel like scarred from being team 1989.
0: Okay, I would have loved a 1989 summer. There's a lot of lawsuits happening around it, um, mm-hmm. which we'll probably talk about, mm-hmm. controversies and we're wrapped up in stuff. Ideally for me, 1989 would have already been released and I could have my 1989 dream summer and Speak yeah. and I would come out in the fall, winter. Um, what do I think is next? It would be a really cool curveball if Reputation came out like on a five year anniversary. <laughs> and it was like no one's heard from me for months of doing better than I ever was. That would be sick. I would, would be, be pissed at her. I would be she's, pissed. She's literally leading us all on. She's literally God. laughing in her apartment, petting her cats. She is the girl <laughs> in the bar that flirts with you to get a drink and then leaves. I have bought you so many drinks, Taylor. Gosh. How many drinks can you buy with the fifty dollar floaty we bought? How many? Crying. <laughs> so um, I don't know what's gonna be next. My my heart wants 1989, but my soul believes it's probably gonna be speaking out. What do you think? Gosh,
1: honestly, I've stopped with the theories. I, I was too hardcore on that 1989 vote um, last summer of 21. So I'm a little scarred and I've stopped making theories.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, well, join us for our next episode we're going to be talking about um, Taylor Swift's anxiety about staying relevant, Yes,
1: which she has a lot of it. Right. It's going to be a little bit of a lyrical deep dive on nothing
0: new and um, long live. Yeah. She's obviously, as we said, she's not had any trouble staying relevant, but she has a lot of anxiety about doing so. So we can't wait to talk about it. Yes. We'll see you next time. See you next time.